Vegas White Sox Weekly. Your all-access pass to everything White Sox. That baby will go! Lance Lynn with an absolute gem. McKnight. Good afternoon and welcome into White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. White Sox fans, 2023 ticket plans are available now. We offer a variety of plans and when you lock in today, you'll get flexible payment plans, savings on single games, great seat locations, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash season tickets. Lots to get to on the show this afternoon. Some changes for the White Sox coming up in 2023. Some that we already know about. You know, Usually, about this time of year, we're going through the very earliest stages of free agency, which means that we've got options, player options, club options, that have been exercised or turned down in some situations. And the White Sox are certainly one of those teams that had a couple of different player options uh, get enacted or declined in some situations that have changed the look of the squad already for 2023. So we'll get to all of those, the A.J. Pollock news, the Josh Harrison news, the Tim Anderson news, all of that. Uh, the, the, The Vegas meetings, the GM meetings, have concluded out west. Some conversation between White Sox general manager Rick Hahn and the Chicago White Sox beat reporter. So we'll get through some of those comments, talk about what they may mean for the White Sox going forward. And I'm really excited about this. Every offseason, we have spoken with assistant general manager Chris Getz and kind of done a state of the White Sox farm system and updated where things were for particular players, kind of for the system as a whole. And this week is that conversation with White Sox assistant general manager Chris Getz. It's a good one. We taped it on the same day when Pedro Gafol was introduced as new White Sox manager. So uh, this is from uh, about a week ago, and I held on to it until then, because obviously the news of Pedro Gafol being named White Sox manager deserved its very own show, and indeed we did that. But uh, today we're, we're going to talk a little bit with Getz about the role of the major league manager in the minor league system as well. I thought it was you know fairly pertinent, especially since they had just named Pedro Gafol manager. He's got a history uh, as a farm director for the Se- Seattle Mariners just a couple of years ago, about a decade and a half ago, I guess. Uh, so there's, I don't know, there's, there's farm system DNA in Pedro Gafol in a way that there um, aren't for a lot of new managers. You know, some of those guys are coming from different situations or, or, or like Tony La Russa, who had been in the majors for so long and certainly connected uh, to all parts of the White Sox organization and the Cardinals organization before that. Uh, but I think it's a little bit different when you've got a guy who has been, you know, kind of a, a minor league director. So we'll talk about that some with Chris Getz coming up here in the second half of the show. But as I mentioned, there's news for the White Sox. And, you know, some of this is a few days old, uh, so you've likely heard it already, but it's our first chance to go over this. And I think three of these moves alter the White Sox. Well, maybe not alter, but definitely set a path for the White Sox in two predictable ways and one, I think, really unpredictable way. Now, the most, the most understandable, the most predictable, the most, yeah, of course, thing that the White Sox did over the last week was enact, picked up, Tim Anderson's $12.5 million club option for 2023. Yeah, of course. 
Tim Anderson is a face if not the face of the White Sox franchise. He had a good year last year. Not a not an not an uncomplicated year last year. 79 games an injury cost him the last month and a half of the season. Still a 301 average with a 339 on base. He only slugged 395 though and like a lot of White Sox hitters last season, he was um, a little short of the power numbers that you usually see. Tim had slugged 469 the year before that. And in the 2020 season, albeit a shortened season, but still he finished seventh in MVP voting, won himself a silver slugger, and slugged 529. Like I mentioned, six home runs in 79 games. You double that, double the game total, double the home run total, and you're looking at kind of a full season. That's 12, maybe 15 home runs for Tim Anderson. And it's close to where you were looking for. But after 2021, and certainly 2020, you were wondering whether or not that um, that power total could maybe rise to elite levels of, of shortstop play. And he, he fell short of that in 2022. Obviously, health are the biggest issues uh, for Anderson in last year. But the batting average, the on-base you know, kind of skill set that he has, never been much of a walker. But the walk rate was 339. Not terrible, but pretty okay relative to the Tim Anderson career totals. And for a fourth straight season, he logged a batting average over 300. 301, sure, but over 300. So Tim Anderson is back for 2023, or at least the White Sox uh, have him back for 2023 at $12.5 million. I won't spend a whole lot more time on TA because I think I think everybody around baseball expected Tim Anderson to be back with the White Sox for $12.5 million. He remains an elite shortstop in terms of what he's able to do offensively and has gotten better, I think, just about every year with the glove. 22 did see him make that, um, you know, a lot of errors in that early eight-game losing streak for Tim Anderson at short. But that was, um, that was, that was, uh, that was solidified, I think, some later on in the season. And there was a stretch there before the groin injury where Tim was playing some really good shortstop. So I think you can pencil him in as elite. And certainly, if he's not in that top tier of shortstops in baseball, he's in that next tier down where his $12.5 million salary makes him one heck of a bargain when it comes to guys who are going to help their teams perform for championships. The other player option that I think... Made a lot of sense, I think, when we heard about it, was the White Sox declining the $5.5 million club option on Josh Harrison and instead opting for a $1.5 million buyout. Josh is a, and who, who knows, you know, the White Sox at second base, where Josh spent the bulk of his time in 2022, are, are kind of an unsettled team right now. There are options at second base, none of whom you'd necessarily go, yeah, that guy's a starter on an AL Central contending club, which the White Sox expect to be next year. Um, you know, you've got Lenin Sosa and Yolbert Sanchez in the minors. Lenin, who had saw some time in the big leagues last year. Danny Mendick will come back from his ACL injury, likely in time for spring training, assuming there are no setbacks. And Leori Garcia's uh, on the team, signed the extension last year. Uh, but but none of those guys are you know necessarily established first division second baseman. The hope is that either Mendick or Lenin or you know Yolbert could get there. Uh, but the White Sox could sign somebody at second base, and, and, and who knows? Could throw Josh Harrison back into the mix as well. He's a great clubhouse guy, and for a stretch there, was playing pretty well. Uh, but but at age, the, the defense for Josh. 
at his age and where you need it to be at second base just wasn't as consistent, I think, as the White Sox were looking for. You know, defensively, they were very much, how did Tony LaRusso put it, a a work in progress at at points last season. And I, I think Josh would probably tell you that at his age, given what he knows clubs are asking from him, he was looking to perform a little bit better there defensively. He certainly put up some highlight reel plays. I mean, the quicks, the moves, the steps, they're there. Uh, consistency was an issue, I think, at times at second base. And the average, you know, the on-base, the slugging percentage, a 687 OPS, not great, uh, below league average. But for a good run there, he was he was looking more like Josh Harrison. So anyway, that kind of sums up the second base issue, or at least the Josh Harrison option. The the option, the club option the, the that... A player option, I guess, that that really stunned, I, I think, a lot of people. It certainly surprised me was the news back on the 8th of November, just earlier this week, when we found out from uh, ESPN's own Buster Olney, I, I think, who first broke it, was that A.J. Pollock was declining his $13 million player option. The White Sox instead pay him a $5 million buyout. It's Pollock's option, right? So he gets to say yes I'm back in for 13 or no, I'm out. Thank you so much for the time. I'll take the 5 million and try and make up the difference uh, for some other team. Now that's that's I think noticeable. That's I think uh perhaps even meaningful for the White Sox because coupled with uh, the AJ Pollock decision, opting out of his deal and and taking the 5 million dollar buyout, we also heard right around the same time, Thursday, Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think, of the GM meetings down in Las Vegas, that the White Sox budget was Rick Hahn kind of talking with reporters, again, for about an hour. And we'll go through some of those quotes in the, in the next segment here on White Sox Weekly. But um, in, in talking with a lot of reporters, kind of set that budget right about where it was for last season. So that puts it in around the you know, mid-180s, low-190s range for 2023, because that's about where it was in 2022. And that $8 million difference, Pollock at 13, if he'd exercise the option, Pollock at five, not on the team, does a couple of different things. One, it's obviously $8 million that's off the White Sox books. And while, yes, they're paying some money for guys not to play for them, such as the business of major league contracts, and what it also does is really reshape the outfield, or at least give the White Sox the potential to reshape the outfield in a very big way in 2023. Check this. Eloy Jimenez spent a lot of time, obviously, as a designated hitter after coming back from his uh, hamstring injury. And he played really well there. On the way out, or at the end of the season, I should say Miguel Cairo, who was then acting manager, kind of said, you know, listen, I... You know, Eloy's going to be a great hitter. I, I kind of see him as a two- to three-day-a-week outfielder and DH the rest of the time. Now, obviously, that was his interpretation of events there. And the expectation is, too, that Eloy Jimenez could get a lot healthier. But that's one guy who played a lot of DH and some left field and obviously has had some injury issues as well. Luis Robert is in center field. Adam Engel needs to be tendered a contract. Uh, A.J. Pollock is gone. And right now, Jose Abreu leaving this team means uh, as as a as a pending as a free agent and who knows whether the White Sox are going to sign him back or not I think you know as we'll get into some of these Rick Hahn cuts uh, quotes rather after the break I, I think it's 
more safe to assume than not, then the reunion between the White Sox and Jose Abreu is probably not going to happen in 2023. That rooms Andrew Vaughn to first base and opens up another you know, 450, 500, depending on who you want to sign, a whole lot of at-bats, potentially a full season of at-bats in either corner of the outfield for the White Sox. So, you know, A.J. Pollock deciding to move on to another team and, and take his buyout really changes a lot for the White Sox, not just contractually, but also when it comes to a starting lineup. And when we start talking about what free agent fits there could be for the White Sox in 2023 in a couple of weeks when the picture starts to resolve itself just a little bit, that, that means there are uh, more options than I, think, uh, than I think previously thought now that A.J. Pollock's looking at a different place to play. Uh, so those are the three options, the three big contractual moves that the White Sox had undergone in the last week here. And, and they're big ones. What it also tells you about the White Sox right now is that they've got some spots to fill. You know, obviously we just talked about the corners in the outfield, but second base is another spot as well. In other places, you know, catcher, third, short, first now with, you know, either Jose Abreu coming back, which again seems like a long shot, or Andrew Vaughn entrenched there for the next little bit. You know, those things are settled. Center field with Luis Robert, too. But in other places, you can get a little... uh a little interesting, a little creative, perhaps. And that's what White Sox general manager Rick Hahn talked with reporters about at the GM meetings, saying that, for one, trades may sound more attractive for the White Sox as they look to bolster their roster in 2023, maybe more so than the free agent market. We'll get into what Rick Hahn said to reporters earlier this week, talk about why that might be the case, and don't forget, Later on in the show, we've got an interview with White Sox Assistant General Manager Chris Getz. It is our annual State of the White Sox Farm System conversation. So stick around. We're back with more here on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. On app. The ESPN Chicago app. In HD. 100.3 HD2. And of course on AM. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. You can become a White Sox insider today for sweepstakes, special offers, the Friday Five, pre-sales, and other exciting Sox content delivered free to your inbox. Visit WhiteSox.com slash insider today. Coming up to our conversation with White Sox Assistant General Manager, Chris Getz. He also helps, you know, a lot with the farm system of the White Sox, and every year, kind of done a state of the White Sox farm system conversation. Tape that the day Pedro Gafal was hired as White Sox manager, so it's coming to you in just a few minutes. We're going over the news for the White Sox. Tim Anderson's option being picked up, Josh Harrison's option being declined, and A.J. Pollock choosing the opt-out in his player option, a $5 million opt-out, which really changes the look for the White Sox outfield in 2023. I told you that I wanted to get into some of the comments that White Sox General Manager Rick Hahn made at the GM meetings earlier this week, and I will, but I would be remiss if I didn't also mention one more piece of White Sox news, and that is, of course, it comes to no surprise, but it's worth mentioning, Dylan Cease is a Cy Young finalist. He and Justin Verlander and Alec Manoa 
of the Blue Jays are your three AL Cy Young finalists. So congratulations to Dylan Cease. That is absolutely huge. I mentioned in last week's show, maybe it was a week before, we were talking a bit about the rotation. You know, everybody says, oh, who's going to take that next step next year, right? Oh, is this player or that player going to take the next step? Well, Dylan did, and then he just kept stepping. I, that, that was a multiple steps ahead kind of season for Dylan Cease, and it really kind of manifested in everybody talking about the, the stuff that he had as a prospect, right? Well, you, you saw it all manifest last year. You really did. Um, and there could be more in the tank. You know, Ethan Katz, White Sox pitching coach, has mentioned a couple of times that there are still places for him to go, some things to achieve in this league. So uh, a, a really great season for Dylan Cease, an AL Cy Young finalist. To that end, and this is from James Feagan of The Athletic, fine White Sox beat reporter. He writes that uh, at, the, at the meetings, Scott Boris, uh, his agent, said that Steven Strasburg once signed an extension before free agency. So in Boris's response to Fegan's question on whether Cease was definitely going to get free agency after 2025 when his arb years are up, Boris said this, our job is just to listen, take information, and then we transfer that to Dylan and see what he wants. So uh, the, the super agent not giving much away, uh, but it happens. As, as James mentioned, Steven Strasburg uh, did sign that extension prior to free agency. Now, we were talking in the first segment a, a bit about what this outfield looks like for the White Sox in 23. And now that A.J. Pollock has opted out, now that it looks like Andrew Vaughn is for sure a first baseman, that leaves potentially two starters to make themselves known to the White Sox in left and right. That When I'm doing this in my head, I'm saying, okay, Eloy Jimenez is obviously a starter, but because he will likely spend a lot of time at DH, if not you know half the season, you're looking at the other half, that other, you know, so there's, there's a lot of at-bats in the outfield for those two spots, three spots, if you want to you know, take the DH stuff and move it around. One of those may well be covered by a rookie. And that would be Oscar Colas. Rick Hahn mentioned that the White Sox' second prospect, rated by MLB Pipeline, is absolutely in play and could be ready as soon as next year. In fact, here's the quote in full on Oscar Colas. I think the acclimation period is behind him now. It's just a matter of showing he's ready and belongs in the big leagues. We'll head to camp, see where he's at. Obviously, there will be off-season check-ins as well and see where the progress is at. But he impressed us last year and is on a real good trajectory to contribute in a meaningful way as soon as next year. So it, uh, you likely know who Oscar Colas is. He played at 17 in Cuba and then went over to the Japanese minor leagues. Got a lot of games in there, a handful at the uh, professional level or the top level in, in Japan. Seven games in total for the SoftBank Hawks. So not a huge sample size there, but it's a guy that's, he's seen a lot of the high-level ball. Now at age 24, he played across three different levels for the White Sox last year. Started at high A Winston-Salem. Double A Birmingham is where he got a lot of time as well. And then seven games at Triple A Charlotte last season. He's kind of one of the late promotions. He was part of Project Birmingham, which we're going to talk about some with Chris Getz in just a couple of minutes. The season-long slash line for Colas, 314 average. 371 on base, 524 slugging, and the numbers are fantastic everywhere, particularly eye-popping at AAA. Granted, just seven games, but he hit 387, 
It's on base at 424. Slugged 645. Two home runs, two doubles in seven games played at AAA. That kept the slugging percentage awfully high. He's got a good reputation as an outfielder. He's played center in the past. Supposed to have a good arm as well. I've yet to see a lot of Oscar Colas. Many haven't. Uh, He did not start... Uh, a lot of spring training uh, wasn't put there. It'll be really interesting to see exactly where he's at. He was a very notable international signee in the last period for the White Sox. So that's big news there. But still, that's only one half of the corner positions. And Han did talk a little bit about Eloy Jimenez in left. And, and this is where, you know, I, I've kind of been talking about Eloy Jimenez and that the, uh, many have the potential of him DHing a lot more. Um, and Han kind of talked about it some too. He said one thing he showed, Aloy showed in the second half, was that he could produce as a DH, which is important for him, I think, to know and to have that in his back pocket, that experience going through a different routine, but still being the offensive player that is as impactful as he can be. You know, that, that would also allow for the White Sox not just to kind of change the look of the outfield on defense, but also to get a lot better defensively in the corners. Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets and Aloy Jimenez uh, and even A.J. Pollock weren't great outfielders defensively, I'm talking about, in, in either corner for the White Sox last year. I happen to be one of those guys who thinks you know corner outfield defense is a lot more important than maybe some would have you believe. Now, granted, if you got a guy that's hitting 45 home runs in the corner, then you can kind of live with some subpar defense. But that is not where the White Sox were in 2023. So I'd love to see them get a little bit better defensively in those corners along either side of Luis Robert as well come this offseason. That's some big news when it comes down to the Vegas. Listen, There's not a lot of trades that get made at this point. There's not a lot of free agents that get signed at this point. Some, like Aaron Judge, make life-changing money. Congratulations to him and the Yankees. But most of it is kind of, you know, ground-setting for these clubs. And the White Sox certainly kind of set some ground here, set some expectations. And I think some of those are that some of these uh, some solutions for positions are going to come from uh, Oscar Colas and some other internal situations. Uh, or, or solutions, and not so much from the free agent market. Now, the trade route could be where the White Sox really do make some of their biggest alterations to the roster. Rick Hahn said a trade was more likely than free agency. He mentioned that in the end of your press conference uh, and also talked about it in the uh, the press conference where they introduced Pedro Grifol as the new manager. So what that's going to look like is, is kind of tough guessing, but something that we'll get to as the weeks go by. When we come back, White Sox assistant general manager Chris Getz is going to join us. It is our annual State of the White Sox conversation with Chris Getz. He's got a great handle on the farm system. Really glad to be bringing this to you. That's next here on White Sox Weekly. It's ESPN 1000. We are talking White Sox. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss the show, we put the podcast up on the ESPN Chicago app. So listen on your time. White White Sox Sox Weekly. ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. Our conversation with White Sox Assistant General Manager Chris Getz is coming up right after I tell you this. 
Sox fans, if you're planning a special occasion and looking for the perfect location, well, we've got you covered. When you reserve your group outing for 2023, you get priority access to the biggest matchups and best space for your group. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash groups. All right, sitting down for our... I don't know, semi-annual? No, I guess it would be an annual State of the White Sox system conversation with Chris Getz, who has so many titles now that listing them here would kind of fill up the entire interview. But, Chris, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it, as always, and always look forward to this conversation. Um, Where is the State of the White Sox system as we sit here after you guys have just hired a brand-new manager and Pedro Griffol? Well, you know, for one, I'll start with Pedro. Very, very excited to, to... Uh, have him part of our organization now and, and you know, lead us towards hopefully a, a championship. Um, you know, so I, I, I start with that. And then, you know, just thinking about the farm system, obviously that's a huge piece of helping us uh, on, on hopefully that path. Um, from where we were a year ago to where we are now, I feel a lot better about things. I think, you know, publicly, there was, uh, you know, some question marks in our system. There were some high ceiling younger players that hadn't really yet performed, um, and you know, we sit here today, and, and I, I certainly feel much better about our system. Where, whether it be players that are knocking on the door to, to help our major league club, but perhaps be part of a, a package to to acquire players that that could help us win ball games at the major league level but it's I I certainly challenged our staff last year that we needed to make strides in in various areas and you know I look back and I I feel pretty pretty good about things happy about some of the accomplishments uh, as a group some individuals um, and uh, you know could want to continue to press the gas to, to help the organization. Whenever we do this, it's always very tempting for me to just kind of list names and go through kind of case by case. And, you know, we'll do that because that's what this is. But since it's newsy and Griffol has, you know, just been hired by the White Sox, what is the role of the major league manager when it comes to prospects specifically? I imagine, you know, obviously mostly in spring training, but what is that role and how do you guys as the White Sox kind of see that relationship building, growing, or beginning for, you know, a, a first-time relationship? You know, for one, especially in this instance, when you have Pedro Grafal with the background that he has, uh, he's he's got a background in scouting. He's got a background uh, as a minor league manager. He has a background as a farm director um, in various roles uh, on a major league staff. And now he's going to have the opportunity to 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 be the essentially the head coach, the manager, um, and the the voice uh, of our organization to a certain extent. Um, but because of all of his experiences, he understands big picture. He understands the importance of the acquisition process, the, the development process, and then the introduction to the major league level because um, he's lived it. He's seen all sides of it. Um, and, you know, I think we're, we have a bonus here that, you know, he's, he's managed against us or he's coached against us, uh, being that he was in Kansas City interdivision. So he's seen some of our younger players that have made their way to the, to the major leagues. And, in, and I have a built-in relationship with Pedro because of our history in Kansas City. So it allows us to have a, an open line of communication right out of the gate about uh, what we have internally. Um, some of the pros and cons, uh, you know, we talk about individual players, things that need to be work, you know, they need to work on some estimates of, of when players are going to be ready to help our major league club. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But his wide range of experience is only going to help us as an organization because you really want someone to, to understand 
the, the, the entire picture and not just a piece of the puzzle, which oftentimes is just the main focus, just our major league. Project so. Birmingham was really well talked about when you talk, you know, Baseball America and Prospect Knicks and all those kind of things. How, how'd it go? How'd Project Birmingham go? I guess we'll find out, uh, <laughs> you know, in a couple of years, uh, whenever you have these initiatives, uh, you know, there, there's certainly the immediate feedback, which I, I felt like uh, there were a lot of positives met. For one, the, the boost and excitement from our players when usually at the tail end of the season, players are, are looking at the calendar, looking forward to their off seasons where, um, you know, there, there was this extra boost of motivation, which, which was part of the goal here at, at Birmingham. Um, so just getting these younger players or players that hadn't played or played with each other and kind of celebrate this opportunity uh, in a competitive environment in season where often you're heading out to instructional league when you're getting players like this together. And although you are playing outside competition, you know, there, there's a legitimate scoreboard. It's part of your record. Your statistics count. Um, and then to staff it appropriately. Um, you know, there was a lot of excitement going into it. I felt like it... it uh, you know, certainly it helped the players and staff get us to the finish line. Uh, there, there were some players that, you know, surprised us because uh, you're talking about grabbing uh, individuals from, from, you know, low A uh, or high A and putting them at a level that, you know, perhaps they're not ready for. Um, but that was part of the, the um, certainly the evaluation process. How are players going to react? I didn't care about necessarily the production on the field, but the temperament in which they were uh, going about their business at a level that that was uh, more challenging than, than what they were currently playing at. So, um, yeah, definitely a lot of data points um, to work off of in the future. Um, but I think overall it was a success. But the, it'll be very telling come you know spring training and next year to see if it really um, was the positive um, that I felt like you know as it stands today was for our players and staff. What is the kind of common? Um I don't know about consensus necessarily, but kind of the common feeling in a system uh, from a front office standpoint. When you've got a guy like Colson Montgomery who gets drafted where you guys took him and then proves to others outside the organization that he is what you thought he'd be, at least to this point in his minor league career, because Colson had a hell of a year. Yeah, very, very rewarding. I mean, I, I think our scouts should be very proud, um, starting from you know Mike Shirley, our, our director, and working our way all the way down to you know our area scouts um and, and then you have justin wexler which was colson montgomery's area in indiana um you know they they really they really uh were vocal about how much they wanted us to to to, to draft them uh in the first round obviously we're we're, we're fortunate to, to have the opportunity to take him which we we certainly did and you know he didn't uh he didn't disappoint he was one of the more consistent players in our system. Um, you know, we're looking at a, a player that, you know, put a lot of focus on basketball. Um, and, you know, there's always this, uh, you know, this theory that if a player really just uh, puts all the energy towards one sport that they're going to take off, sometimes that's just thrown around. But in this case, uh, I think it, it certainly applies because um, he got better as the year went on. Um, and, you know, there, there. I, I like talking about this story because it is unique. Where he had, um, it, it was essentially a bone bruise in his hand, and he was shut down for a couple weeks. And anyone that's played baseball, if you've got uh, something bothering your hand, it's going to affect your your offensive uh, performance. In which you know we shut him down for a little bit, and 
you know, three, four weeks pass, and, you know, his, his legs were ready, his hand was, was fully healed, and, you know, I talked to Colson about whether he would prefer to go to Arizona, a rehab assignment, um, you know, so the, the benefit of that is just, you know, for one, get your leg, continue to get your legs under you, get your arm ready, um, but get some at-bats that don't really count against your statistics, and, uh, but he was adamant about just being inserted back into mm. the lineup there. So when he was medically cleared, we put him right back, back in there, and you know he came back and he was better than he was before, um, which is which is such a rarity. But that really spoke to the confidence that he has in himself um, and how much he was really studying the game uh, with that downtime. Um, he kept his body ready. Um, certainly his mind as well, and he was inserted back in there and. and um, you know, took another step step forward, but his zone awareness, um, you know, his his uh, his at bats were just um, very mature for his age, uh, and certainly like his or and certainly his um, uh, immaturity just as a with, with experience under his belt. I mean, he 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 was beyond his years, um, and you know, he he just never really wavered. Although there, he, he could go have an O for here or get uh, a couple hits one night. Uh, he would remain focused, and um, and then defensively, he, he continued to get better. There were some um, some things with in regards to his footwork uh, at shortstop that we focused on. He took to that. Uh, overall, very happy with what he was able to accomplish this past season, and he should feel re- really proud about where he is and how he's positioned himself within the organization. There's a lot of conversation uh, from the outside, kind of looking at Oscar Colas, and it would be really, it, it's really easy to build the White Sox roster you know, if you're not employed by the White Sox and say, listen, I mean, he hits left-handed, he plays a corner outfield spot, he makes a lot of sense for this team to break camp. Should that happen? Um, what sorts of things will you look back at his 2021 season and say, well, these are the ways he showed us he was ready to roll. Pardon, his 22 season. These are the ways he showed us he was ready to roll in 23 at the big league level. Well, you know, just the first time we were around him um, on a consistent basis was this past spring training. Um, and just, you know, wa- watching his batting practice, watching him take fly balls and go through our fundamentals and watching him work out and mix in with, with teammates, um, you know, that, that, that cert- that's all a part of the evaluation. Um, and he, he mixed in very well. We're talking about a, a Cuban player that, that is getting acclimated to, to the United States, to, uh, you know, professional baseball, to the White Sox organization. It takes time. But he, he exudes so much confidence. Um, you know, he, he was a he's a player that you know a little bit older than than when we acquired uh, when we signed Louis Robert. Sure, um, but still, the, it's 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 a, an adjustment period for for anyone, and uh, he's very comfortable in his own skin. He understands who he is as a player, um, and you know we started him in Winston Salem, and you know there 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 were some uh, little tidbits along the way that I felt like we needed to address. Um, and Lorenzo Bunny, our man- manager there, did a fantastic job sitting down with him and putting together essentially a daily plan, a j- daily checklist um, uh, that most of it was focused on preparation. And it, not that he he lacked the motivation to be prepared. It was just how do you get prepared? And, you know, and, and checking all these boxes to, to give yourself uh, a chance to, to be successful on a daily basis. And once uh, Lorenzo and, and ultimately uh, – uh, Oscar really dialed in on on uh, this checklist. Uh, he really began to, to take off. Um, 
you know, on the defensive side, we had him in center field. Um, I, I think we all believe that he, he could be he could play major league center field, but in the end, he's, he's probably going to get the majority of his reps in the corner. He's got a big arm. He's got instincts out there. He can handle center field. Therefore, you, you expect him to be uh, more impactful on the corners. Um, he likes to make plays. He'll lay out. He's got a big arm. Um, offensively, he's got he's got some some real power. Um, above average uh, above average power. I think it's gonna. Uh, it's going to be a player that once he gets comfortable on putting together consistent at bats at the major league level, we're going to see more and more of the power using the whole field, knowing that he has pull power, he's got opposite field power that he doesn't need to try to do too much. Um, he's got great hands at the plate. He'll shoot balls, you know, through the four hole, through the six hole. Um, you know, he, he's got the ability to hit the gaps. Um, on the on the base pass, you know he he's a guy that likes to get the extra base. He he plays with a lot of ener- energy that's infectious. Um, I think he he he's a player that, um, you know, is starting to understand who he is, um, and uh, ultra talented. You know, you you always want players when they're called up to the big leagues to be ready to perform right out of the gate. Um, I think that. You know he's not too far off from being a player that can be productive at the major league level. Um, there's going to be some things that he needs to continue to focus on. Um, you know we talk about plate discipline and being exposed by certain attack plans from pitchers. All young players go through, um, you know that that learning that learning curve that experience and and really it's about how quickly they make those adjustments. You need to live and go through that stuff in the minor leagues. Uh, this off season will be really important for him both physically but also mentally preparing himself to to uh, not only be able to understand how to navigate the the, the major league waters um, uh, but but also um, understand that you know potentially they're going to go about things a little bit different at the major league level point is he's he's in a really good position to go into spring training and compete for for a spot with our club um, you know we, we feel like the, there is a way that um, there is a way to insert him in there and not have to ask too much of him, and that's always that's always good. There, there are years, uh, whether it be with White Sox or other organizations, that have young top prospects that are knocking on the door. You don't want them necessarily to be the center of attention. Sure. Um, and we've got that ability because we have a talented roster here. When you look at the um, – I always have to remind myself that when I look at – Stats from AAA Charlotte pitchers, like anyone who pitches there, it's it's a launching pad. It's really hard to evaluate <laughs> anything. There were a lot of bullpen games though for AAA Charlotte. Um, what is crucial for the White Sox in expanding either the depth of of pitcher available to you from that you know kind of Davis Martin level all the way down to the guy that might be pushing from AA to AAA to make some starts? It, it seems from the outside looking in that there are maybe more bodies needed from like a, a very base level. And I'm sure you guys are looking for, for stats and qual- uh, rather traits and qualities mm-hmm. to fill out the rest of that kind of pitching infrastructure from an arm standpoint. Yeah, I mean, starting pitching is something that you're, you're looking to improve constantly. Uh, that, that never ends. Uh, we were very fortunate to have Davis Martin step up this year. Um, you know, I, 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 I think, you know, we, we went to him probably more than we would have liked. Mm-hmm. Um and, and that was a result of some of the injuries that, that, that we had at the major league level. Um, but Davis did an excellent job. There's no denying that. Um, you know, did it affect the, the bullpen usage or the pitch, pitcher usage at Charlotte? Uh, on a regular basis, it did. 
Um, but that's okay. That's what the minor leagues are, are ultimately there for, to help our major league club. But to, to go beyond just Davis, we've got Sean Burke, uh, that had an excellent year that pitched both at Winston-Salem and Birmingham. We'll have an opportunity to, to be at Charlotte next year. Um, he, and he, he's an arm that I think that is not too far off from helping our, our team at Chicago. Uh, we need to add to that. You, know, you, you hope that a, a Matt Thompson isn't too far off or a Christian Mania who had an excellent year. Um, you know, based on what a Davis Martin did last year going in, I, I wouldn't I – did to tell you that Davis Martin was going to have as many appearances that he did, I, I – um, I would have uh, shaken my head. Um, so the, we do have a pool of pitchers that I feel like could become next year's Davis Martin. Um, you know, you, you want to go beyond just your starting five at the major league level. You want to be able to go to eight to 10 to 12. There are some years um, that teams, you know, win a World Series. And, you know, you look at how, how many starting pitchers they use, and I've seen it as deep as 12 and 13 starting pitchers. So uh, there's different ways to go about it. Obviously, there's the... The, the homegrown way, players that we've been drafted. There's the six-year free agents. There's major league free agents. Um, and, and just certainly trades along the way to, to help improve things. But uh, we're, we're looking to build that infrastructure. It's an important um, it's an important piece to, to, to make this championship drive. We have some internal candidates that I feel like are about to step up. Just in terms of total depth, uh, it, it kind of looks like middle infield might be the deepest spot throughout the entire system. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about Colson, but obviously the other guys, including Wes Kath, who's you know, played a lot of third, but you know might be a guy who can handle either one of those spots up the middle too. Is is that you know is that an, uh, an accurate appraisal of kind of the system? Whether it's you know the guys at the major league level, down to Lanine and Yolbert. I mean that that is a that's a pretty stacked little system there. Uh, I think that's accurate to to, to say. Uh, years ago, I, I remember talking to Mike Shirley and Marco and. And certainly everyone here in the front office where I felt like it was really important to, to focus on improving our middle infield depth. And uh, I feel much better about where we're at. And, and, you know, you brought up a lot of those names. Um, but with the addition, you know, you've got Romy Gonzalez that has come back from uh, some of the health issues that he, that, that he had this year and, and help out our club down the stretch here. Lennon Sosa um, had a tremendous year. He got a taste of the big leagues for uh, for a 22-year-old. That That's always um uh, a good sign um you know we've got yolbert sanchez that w- that had a productive year um at triple a but has been you know highly performed very well at double uh, a um you know we've got colson montgomery that's coming um you know even a, a zach remillard played pretty well at charlotte last year that can play the middle infield um and then you've got a west calf that, that's more corners along with brian ramos um, but just our infield infielders in general uh, we feel pretty good about things. And then you've got Jose Rodriguez. I almost forgot about him, who who uh, had an excellent year and is knocking on the door to the big leagues and has a chance to be an inf- impactful player for us. So uh, we've got options. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, it's, a, it's always tough to compare what you have internally to the other organizations, but I, I'm confident to say that, um, you know, our group stacks up pretty well against them. Chris, appreciate you sitting down as always. Uh, is there a sequel plan for Project Birmingham? Project Birmingham Part 2, Electric Boogaloo, some sort of cool... <laughs> like, what are we doing with the name here, second time around? Yeah, you know, I, I talked to our group and, and you know, a, a bit of a debrief after the, pro, you know, after Project Birmingham. And, you know, I think the, 
the the consensus was, you know, next go around, perhaps we we come up with a better name. Okay, fair. Um, so we'll work on that. But yeah, we'll see. I, I, it's something that I, I'd like to do on an annual basis. But you're you're at the mercy of what your your farm system um, is really giving you at the time. And it just so happened we had a lot of players that were at the Winston Salem level or just had gotten in Birmingham, and it made sense to to have it in Birmingham. There could be years where it makes more sense to do it in Kannapolis or Winston Salem. Uh, per, perhaps even Charlotte, although it becomes a little bit more challenging knowing that players are going to be going up to Chicago at times. Chris, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. That's White Sox assistant general manager Chris Getz. We'll wrap it up here on White Sox Weekly. When we come back, it's ESPN 1000. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Listen to Chicago's home for sports on the ESPN Chicago app, 100.3 HD2, and ESPN 1000. Now, on the home of the White Sox, here's Connor McKnight. Well, that wraps it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thanks so much for listening. If you missed or only caught part of our conversation with White Sox Assistant General Manager Chris Getz, we went through the whole farm system, at least as much as we could, in about 20 minutes. You can download every episode of the show on the ESPN Chicago app. You can re-listen to the whole thing. You can also stay up to date on all things White Sox by following the team's official social media accounts. Don't miss a minute of the action on and off the field. Follow the White Sox on social media today. It's at White Sox. Thanks to Kendra Smith. Thanks to Jake Cantu, our producers this afternoon. I'm Connor McKnight. We'll catch you next week for more White Sox Weekly right here on ESPN 1000. He's at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio. Plus, you can listen and watch on the ESPN app. Did you miss Canty and Carlin? Dolphins fans in my mentions is getting outrageous, dude. Yeah. It's getting outrageous. I mean, they they, they, they they are caping for Tua like he already delivered a championship. Bro. I just don't understand how Dolphins fans can come out their neck and suggest that their quarterback is better than Josh Allen or better than Pat Mahomes. You're out of your freaking minds if that's what you think the situation is. Canty and Carlin, weekdays at 3 Eastern on ESPN Radio. You can also listen and watch on the ESPN app. Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. The Packers will be at home for the playoffs. So that means that they'll be getting ready. We're in November. After Thanksgiving, they're going to call the local storage place along with whoever can move their stuff to the storage and move it out of town for the guys that are becoming free agents and things of that nature. Their assistants are going to start planning for post-Christmas vacations. G.J. and Max. Mornings on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app. The biggest names in sports are on ESPN Radio. Bill Davis, New Orleans Saints linebacker. We just keep chopping wood, keep sharpening the axe day by day. When you have a good process, that's what you focus on. Julian Love, New York Giants defensive back. It's been good to leave your, your house or whatever on Monday, and you see a lot of people on the streets just walking wearing the Giants gear. Joined now by the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, New Orleans Saints safety. I think we got enough fighting us, and obviously we got enough football left, so I believe in us, no doubt. Former Eagles safety, pro football Hall of Famer, Weapon X, Brian Dawkins. It wasn't that moment that makes me want to rip his head off. It's just that he was in the other jersey. That's the way it works. Curtis Martin, former Jets running back and pro football Hall of Famer. I love having Key as a teammate. He was one of those guys who you knew you could depend on, no matter what came hell or high water. The biggest names in sports come here, and it all starts weekday mornings with Keyshawn J. Will and Max, and continues all day. This is ESPN Radio.